Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, church. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here at Portico Church, Arlington, and it's my privilege to open up the Word of God with you all this morning. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, so if you have a Bible and want to turn there, feel free. We're going to be in Galatians at the end of chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be in Galatians for just one more week this week, and then we're going to take a, a break for the month of December during the season of of Advent. Uh, Christmas is here. Thanksgiving is over. Christmas is here. So if you've been listening to Christmas music since Halloween, no one can judge you anymore. You're now free to enjoy and listen to that music. I love Christmas music and tradition and lights and decorations and all that stuff that is here. Here at Portico, starting next week, I mentioned we're going to be in Galatians today, but then during the month of December, during the four Advent Sundays of December, we're going to be doing a short series looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ and four of the major movements of his life and work. We're going to look at that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, and that he's coming again. So those are what we're going to be looking at in the month of December during those four Advent Sundays. Also, Christmas Eve this year falls on a Sunday, December 24th. That's Christmas Eve, in case you didn't know. Uh, here we're going to be doing, we're going to have our normal Sunday morning gathering, December 24th. And then we also, for those who are in town, are invited back here at 6 o'clock that night, and we're going to do something we're calling carols and cocoa. We're just going to gather outside, weather permitting, and sing Christmas carols, and hear some scripture read, and drink some hot chocolate. So if you are here, please put that on your calendar, and we'll look forward to doing that together. So that's, that is what... December is going to look like as we look upon and celebrate the birth of our Savior. But before we get to Advent, like I said, one more week in Galatians, and we are at the, at the end of chapter 4. We're going to be in Galatians 4, verses 21 through the, actually the very first verse of chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 21 through chapter 5, verse 1. And these verses are like a conclusion or a capstone to the argument that Paul has been making throughout the first four chapters of this letter to the churches in Galatia. And Paul has again and again and again been urging the Galatians to embrace the gospel. That salvation is first and foremost an act of God to save his people, not an act of people to save themselves. Justification is found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he's been calling the Galatians to rest in the grace of God and not to rely on their own effort to obey the law. Rest in God's grace, not to rely on their own effort. And we're going to see that again here this morning. So please follow along with me as I read these verses and then we'll pray, and then we'll look at it closer together. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the privilege to have it written down and to look at it together as a church family. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes this morning, that we may behold wondrous things out of your word, that we would rest in the good news of your gospel and the good news of your grace. To unfaithful people like us, you remain faithful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Deep in the cornfields of Ohio... That is where my wife and I met. We attended a small liberal arts college in Ohio, in the cornfields. Not a whole lot to do there. Uh, So when we met and started dating, hanging out together, one of the things we enjoyed doing was uh, finding a bench along the paths that ran through campus and talking and looking up and seeing all the stars in the sky. Very cute. And we would constantly look up the stars, and we'd find our favorite constellations, and it'd be great and wonderful, and we would go home on breaks, Christmas break, summer break, whatever break you have, and we'd invariably be on the phone talking, and we'd step outside, and what stars do you see? Oh, I see. And then we'd say this and uh, talk about what stars we saw, and our family did not find it as cute or adorable. They would often make fun of us for what we were doing. But one thing that we noticed, one thing that we enjoyed is, is, is especially there in the cornfields. Not a lot of light pollution, right? So it's dark, see lots of stars. And the longer you look, the more stars there seem to appear. So maybe when you were a kid, you would try to count how many stars there were in the sky, and eventually you'd give up because you couldn't count that high, or you'd get frustrated because you couldn't, tell which, you couldn't remember which stars you already counted, and oh, I'm going to go play with my brother or my sister, right? Even NASA, like the federal agency that studies space, doesn't really know how many stars there are. There are just at least 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. So it makes sense why you stopped counting as a child. But with this imagery in mind, this imagery of stars too numerous to count, we come back to our text this morning, and throughout the letter of Galatians, and again today, Paul keeps coming back to Abraham, who of course is introduced to us all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. 
And here's what Genesis chapter 15 has to say. And the Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then the Lord said to Abraham, So shall your offspring be. In other words, God was promising that the number of offspring, the number of descendants that would come to Abraham, his family tree, would be as many as the stars in the sky. What an amazing promise that is. But there was a problem. Sarah, Abraham's wife, wasn't getting pregnant, which makes it pretty difficult for them to see how God was going to come through on his promise to give them descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so rather than rest and wait for the Lord to deliver on his promise, they took matters into their own hands. They relied on their own effort to get what God said that he would deliver, what he would provide. And so in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 16, Sarah tells Abraham to conceive a child with her servant, Hagar. And Abraham agrees to this plan, and together with Hagar, they have a son named Ishmael. All right, mission accomplished. Abraham has a son. His family line can continue, right? No. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) No, God refused to acknowledge Ishmael as the child of promise. Instead, God says that a son will be born to Sarah and that that child will fulfill God's promise. So with Abraham and Sarah both around 100 years of age, God would miraculously allow for Sarah to conceive and have a son named Isaac. And this son would be the one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. This would be the son that God would fulfill his promise through. And now it seems like, to me anyway, God would have been perfectly just if he would have responded to Abraham and Sarah taken away his promise, retracted on what he said, and chose to bless another family because of what they had done. But that's not what God did. God was faithful to his promise, even though they were unfaithful. Ishmael was born through human effort. Isaac was born through the powerful grace of God. And so in our text this morning, Paul uses the births of these two boys to illustrate the contrast between living under slavery to the law and living under freedom through the gospel. And so let's take a look at that this morning. I'm going to read verse 21 here again. He says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And so throughout our study of Galatians, we've seen that Paul's opponents, opponents of the gospel, have been trying to get the Galatian believers to, to submit, to have imposed on them the Old Testament law in order for them to have assurance that they are truly belonging to God. Right? We've seen circumcision, we've seen dietary laws, we've seen calendar, the Jewish calendar, days, months, seasons, we've seen all these ways that these opponents of the gospel have come and tried to impose the Old Testament law on the people of Galatia. And these folks take great pride in their observance of the law, 
But Paul asks them rather sarcastically, have you even read the law? Have you even listened to what Scripture says? And so in the next two verses, he tells them what he's talking about, what we've been talking about thus far, these two births, the story in Genesis that they should be well familiar with. So verses 22 and 23, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so first, Paul is referencing the birth of Ishmael to the slave or the bondservant, Hagar. And Paul says that this birth was according to the flesh. That is, Abraham relied on his own human effort to get what God had promised instead of resting and waiting for God to deliver. And second, Paul is referencing the birth of Isaac, born to the free woman, Abraham's wife, Sarah. And Isaac was born miraculously to parents too old to have a child. He was born through the powerful grace of God, fulfilling the Lord's promise to Abraham. And Paul's going to show how these two births can be used to represent the ongoing struggle in the Galatian churches, the struggle between those in slavery to the law and to those who have been freed by the gospel. Verses 24 through 27. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, ye who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Paul is referencing these births, the birth of Ishmael and the birth of Isaac. And he uses Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, to represent Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, of course, is where the Mosaic law was delivered. The same law that Paul's Jewish opponents are insisting is necessary to follow for salvation. So Hagar corresponds to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the law is delivered. And thus she represents those who rely on human effort for their own righteousness. And just as Hagar was a slave to Sarah, Paul's opponents are slaves to the law and to its condemnation. The law does not provide freedom. It demands obedience, but on its own it cannot provide the power to obey. All it can do is condemn, because no one can measure up to the law. No one can keep it perfectly. And Paul also uses Hagar to represent the present day, Paul's present day, Jerusalem. This earthly Jerusalem is the geographic source of Paul's opponents. This is the place where Paul's opponents came from to go to Galatia. And citizens of that city are enslaved to the law because they are relying on their own effort to adhere to it. And they're trying to get these Gentile believers to join them in their enslavement. And in contrast, Paul uses Sarah to represent the Jerusalem that is above. 
the heavenly Jerusalem. This city is the city of God, the city of God and his people. Those who have faith in Christ, those who are resting in the grace of God, they are the citizens of this city. In this city, the heavenly Jerusalem, there is no slavery. This is a city of freedom. Citizens of this city are free from the power and penalty of sin today. And when Christ returns, citizens of this city, us, we will be free from the presence of sin forever. We heard that this morning in our call to worship and look forward to that. And Paul concludes this part of the verses here with a quote from Isaiah 54, verse 1, the quote that starts with, Rejoice. And he's using that quote to call the Galatians to rejoice. It should rejoice that just as Sarah rejoiced when she was finally able to give child, to give birth to a child after all those years of waiting, we should rejoice even more. For just as the Spirit brought new life to Sarah's barren womb, the Spirit brings new life to our barren souls. We are reborn. We are regenerated. We are given new desires. We want to obey God's law, not to earn our justification, but as an act of gratitude, of thankfulness, to glorify the Lord who redeemed us from the curse of the law to the one who has set us free. The last few verses here, I'm going to read these again, verses 28 through chapter 5, verse 1. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. The free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And these verses are some very good news for the believers in Galatia. Paul is corresponding them to Isaac, the, children of, the child of promise, the child of God. And this would have been surprising because they might have assumed, based on what they're hearing from these Jewish opponents from Jerusalem, that they might actually be with Ishmael. They're outside of God's people. They haven't done what they need to do to obey the law and be accepted by God. But here Paul is saying, no, if you're trusting in Christ, you are a child like Isaac. You are a child of promise, of grace. In contrast, the flip side, this is bad news for those opponents of the gospel. Because on the other hand, they would assume that they were children of Isaac, but Paul is actually saying, no, you are a child of Ishmael, like Ishmael. They are not children of promise, but children of slavery, children of the flesh. They do not honor God with their lives. Instead, they are persecuting true believers 
by trying to get them to submit to the law and find their rest in that. And Paul has harsh words of warning for opponents of the gospel. Those who are relying on their own effort, those who are not resting in the grace of God, they will be cast out. They are not children of the promise. They will not inherit the spiritual blessings of adoption. But Paul has sweet words for those who are relying on God's grace. Christ has set us free. And we are to stand in that freedom. Notice here, and this is in this is verse 1 of chapter 5. Notice here that Paul is not saying, stand firm and then you'll be free. Now he flips the order. He says, you are free. Christ has set you free. Now stand firm. It's classic Paul in his letters to these different churches in the New Testament. The fancy words are indicative, precedes the imperative. Paul declares who you are in Christ first and then instructs how you are to live after that, not the other way around. We aren't accepted by God because of how we live. We are to live because God has saved us. Christ has set us free. His work has earned our freedom. He perfectly obeyed the law for us. It's done. And then our response is to stand firm in that freedom that he has provided for us. So how do we stand firm in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us? What are some ways, what are some practical ways that we can stand firm. I want, to, I want us to consider this morning three ways that we can stand firm. And the first is listen to God. The second is talk to God. And the third is rest in God. We'll go through each of these. The first is listen to God. How do I listen to God? How does that happen? How does that work? We listen to God through his word, right? The Bible, the scriptures. Two times in our passage this morning, Paul points his readers to the scriptures. He says in verse 21, do you not listen to the law? And then in verse 30, what does the scripture say? Paul is assuming, he's calling out for his readers, look to the scriptures for how you are to live, what you are to believe, what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. Now for us, we have these apps and these plans and there's little check marks, which is really helpful for us people who have to-do lists and want to get things done. But checking it off our list, checking Bible reading off the list for the day can just be another source of of self-justification. I read my Bible every day this week. I read it every day this month. I feel good about myself. My spiritual maturity is solid. I take God's word seriously. Pat on the back. Or it can be a source of guilt for us. I didn't read my Bible today. I didn't read it this week. I haven't read it this month. I need to try harder. I need to read my Bible more. I need to be a better Christian. Now hear me. It's good and necessary to read the Bible. It is our source of life. But reading God's word is not meant to make us feel better about ourselves and what we're doing. 
It's meant to give us life by focusing us on God and his grace, the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible is first and foremost a story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of how God created humanity, how humanity rejected and rebelled against God. And even though, even despite that, God promises to make a way of salvation and he delivers on that promise. He provides a way for us to be saved. And he has also promised that those who are justified, he will sanctify, and those that he sanctifies, he will glorify. Just as he has set us free from slavery to sin, he will work within us to make us more like himself and eventually to bring us home. And because God has been faithful to his promises in the past, we can trust him, we can rely on him for the, promise he has, the promises he has made for our future as well. So listening to God's word, listening to God, helps us stand firm in the freedom that he's given us by focusing on God and his grace, his mercy, his power. So listen to God. Second, listen to God. Listen to God first. Second, talk to God. So Abraham and Sarah were presented with a problem, right? God had promised them a baby. They're 100 years old. No baby. Not good. Now, if you're like me, and I hope you're not, no. If you're like me, then when you're presented with a problem, you typically react to it in one of three ways, right? The first is solve it. All right, I'm going to rely on my knowledge. I'm going to take action, dive into this situation. I'm going to figure it out, overcome the obstacle that's in front of me, dive right in, let's get to it. Just got to rely on my own effort effort to deal with the problem. Sounds a little bit like Abraham and Sarah. Or I can delegate it, right? This is too hard for me. I'm going to give it to someone else. I don't have time for this. I have too much on my plate. I got more important things to do. Pass it off to someone else, someone with more knowledge and time experience, right? Or you might ignore it. Just too many things. Shut down. Too many other things to do. Too many problems. I don't have time for yet another thing going wrong. So I'm going to ignore it. It'll just go away, right? Now, How many of us, when we are presented with a problem, the first thing that we do is we talk to God about it? I think the answer to that question indicates whether we are relying on God in our life or whether we are relying on ourselves. But we should pray. We must pray. But how? When we are presented with a problem, when God isn't delivering on the timeline that we expected, when he's not giving us the things that we think we are due or what should come to us, what should we pray for? Well, first, ask God to provide for your needs. What you want, what you need might be good, something really good to have. So search the scriptures, make sure that what you want is in accordance with God's will, and then ask him for it. Boldly go to the throne and ask for God to provide that thing in your life. 
And while you're waiting, ask God to help you wait. Ask God to help you wait. Perhaps God is not giving you what you want on your timeline. The good news, even though it's hard, but the good news is, is that God's timeline is better than your timeline. It's hard to wait. It's hard to endure. It's hard to persevere. But the Holy Spirit can help you do that, so ask God to help you wait, to help you persevere. And then finally, you may need to ask God for contentment. Maybe God doesn't want to provide you with the thing you're asking for. Maybe it's not good, (laughs) and so he's withholding it for your own good. Or maybe it is a good thing, but he's withholding it, and we just don't know why. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't understand everything that God does. And so ask him to give you contentment with what you have. Ask him to provide. Ask him to help you wait. Ask for contentment. Those are ways we can talk to God. So listen to God, and talking to God helps us stand firm in the freedom of the gospel. And then finally, resting in God. We've been touching on this all morning, but it bears repeating. Rest in God. We can rest knowing that God has promised that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those people. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is really good news for those of us who sin. So it's good news for all of us. It's extremely important for us to remember when we are unfaithful, when we rely on our own human effort, when we decide to take things into our own hands, when we reject God and rely instead on ourselves. We may tend toward legalism, seeking peace through what we do by doing the right things, making right decisions, living a good life. Or we may tend towards hedonism and seek peace and satisfaction in the pleasures of the world. But when our legalism falls short, we're left wondering if we've done enough and we don't have assurance. And when our hedonism falls short, we're left unsatisfied and looking for the next thing that might just finally fill that hole in my life. It's in those moments that we as Christians need to remember that even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. He remains faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him. And so we end where we began with Abraham and Sarah. They were unfaithful. They relied on themselves, their own human effort, instead of on God. And did God give them what they deserved? Did God reject them? No. (laughs) He gave them grace. He gave them grace. Church, when you are discouraged by your own unfaithfulness, return to God and rest in his faithfulness toward you. Remember that Abraham and Sarah, even though they were unfaithful, eventually did have a son, Isaac. 
And to Isaac was born Jacob. And to Jacob were born 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And to one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah, would come a man named Joseph. And that man, Joseph, would be betrothed to a woman named Mary. And to Mary and Joseph would be born Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the second person of the Trinity, the one who came to redeem us from the curse of the law, the one who came to liberate us from slavery to sin, and the one who came to populate the heavenly city of Jerusalem with citizens as numerous as the stars in the sky. So church, rest in God's grace today, rest in God's grace every day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, we confess that we are that we are sinners. We continue to sin too often in our life, Lord. We forget you, our Savior, our Lord, and we choose our own way. We rely on our own human effort to get what we think we want, to get what we think we need. We don't rest. We don't wait for you. And Lord, that's discouraging in one moment, but in the next, we remember that we can run back to you when we are unfaithful. You promise to us that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, help us to remember, help us to rest in your grace. Help, help your grace to give us peace. Lord, help, give us Give us spirits that rejoice, knowing that you have loved us, you have saved us, you have liberated us. And let that that joy color every day of our life. And Lord, we ask for your help, not only for joy, but also for the power to obey you, to live a life that is pleasing to you through your spirit who helps us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.